welcome, welcome, everybody. Welcome. This is Sharon Smith, and this is I Am Big Poetry Podcast presents Real Poetry. I'm here with my purse snatchers. Well, not my purse snatchers. Purse snatchers, huh? <laughs> so Pop- we're purse snatchers. <laughs> you know what? The economy's <laughs> fucked anyways. I can't buy a house at a reasonable price. Purse snatchers it is. You can't even rob a bank without the federal government getting on your ass. You can't rob a bank properly. You know what happens when you rob a bank and you take the money from the vault? Not only are you dealing with the local and state police, you got the G-men on you. Mm -hmm. Purse snatchers it is. Republican Karens. Purse snatchers then. Marvin and Auntie Vice. Say what up. What up? <laughs> Once again, we're here at the real poetry. The real poets are here to review not only one movie, but we are doing six. We are doing a full scale Edgar Allan Poe movie review. Now, so that's a good question. Do you want to like do everything sectioned off, or do you just want to just go for the big? The, just throw a big gulp of everything and then just why don't you introduce the movie as a whole and then we can go segment my segment yeah i agree with that like we will do like a quick plot synopsis of what the whole movie is and then we'll break it down either chronologically or whatever we choose with the five we just saw okay all right then we shall do that the full movie extraordinaire of these vignettes altogether was called Extraordinary Tales 2013 movie done direct, um, basically produced and directed by um, Raul Garcia, but his narrations were all by various um, stars. Um, Bilagosi was one of them. And uh, Christopher Lee. F- I was about to say, you're forgetting the incomparable, the amazing and never and sadly passed away, but still ageless, Christopher Lee. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did say Christopher Lee. Well, I thought you forgot because uh, even Guillermo del Toro was on as a narrator. This movie is this thing itself was put on a TV as TV 14, go figure, and it shared four of the it shared five of the various. Tales out of that were written by Edgar Allan Poe. Tale, um, the Tall Tale Heart, The Pit and the Pendulum, The Fall of the House of Usher, The Facts of The Facts of the Case of M. Van Demir, and a Mask of The Mask of the Red Death. It all, it all got all concentrated from five movies, just like they did with the Treehouse of Horrors, with Simpsons. And yes, we are going to talk also about Simpsons' first Fuck yes. Treehouse of Horrors that had not only the the damp the damned house, the house of the damned. It had the Raven. Is this the end of zombie Shakespeare? (laughs) Look, I think we've pretty much established in this entire fucking series. I love The Simpsons. I'm ready for this. I love The Simpsons better than I love 2020 Mulan. (laughs) Wow. 
You, you well, went, you love everything you better than for, yes. I love anything better than 2020 Mulan. I still maintain the actress who played it is a goddamn really? cunt. You love everything better than 2020 Mulan. Even even your last date. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I do. I I love the BTS girl better than I love the last date. And uh, kind listeners, if you listen to this, I will provide you with the bonus insert wow. of one of the dates. That's even more disturbing. Uh, so, okay. Really? I'm down person snatching. Okay. <laughs> Did you see that prison cell? I, 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 I was Click on the to, link. I, I, Wait, that's I, a nice gotta, prison cell. It, it's saying a lot when a prison cell in another country looks a lot better than a studio in SF. That's uh, a dorm room. No, that's it's that's their prison, prison cell. cell. Those are their. That's how you go to jail in Sweden. I'm gonna purse snatch in Sweden <laughs> and fucking go to jail because that that's would relieve a, a lot of stress. Right? I'm gonna start selling hard drugs in Sweden and live in that. That looks better than an SF. Wait, give me that in a little paper. I'm fucking happy. They, have they got a blankets. library with it. They got blankets and a bookcase. <laughs> you thought that was a dorm? A it was a dorm. It is a dorm. They have yeah, access to libraries. I'm fucking selling shit in Sweden and, and moving into that. That looks hella better than trying to make a living here. I'm going to punch we, out a right-winger Swedish person who is like pro-Nazi and be like, I did it. I'm cool with going to prison. Yep. We are not a political podcast. Know that, but... We are all financially desperate. We're yes. about to make that call to a squid game. Like, like two or three of us are about to fucking call squid game in this podcast. Wow. Who will make it? Now I got a question. That one. Who will make? Oh, you the... and I will die immediately. Which one? What are, who are you deluding? Who are you deluding? I, I, I'm you get, and I will die immediately. Okay, I will at least will get five games out. out. No, you would. You would have made it through through red light, green light. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I. Wow. She called you out. I'm like, I'm so. Uh, I, we're, look, we're I have a very on. full understanding of what my of who I am. Okay. This does not survive in any kind of apocalypse. At best, I will be a court jester. You say that, but I think you'll make it just halfway. At least, at least uh, five um, days. I I know myself well days. enough. I know myself well enough. I'm the. I will survive as someone's court jester at best. <laughs> That's a damn shame. <laughs> That's a damn shame. You're gonna be a freaking hood ornament. <laughs> Then they go drive down with you like ah. Okay. Anyway, back to the show because this is ridiculous. Extraordinary tales. The first movie that we, the first, the first vignette that they basically showed in Extraordinary Tales was the fall of the House of Usher. Now, this one, Usher. Usher. <laughs> yeah, not Raymond. <laughs> not Raymond Usher. Usher. <laughs> now, this one here was an interesting call. Um, so. Elaborate, because I because I didn't know the end of people's names. Who? What is the story about? More, more or less. Well, who the who the who the characters' names? Quite honestly, I found this one kind of tacky and boring. I can't remember the names, but it's clearly. But um, the narrator was essentially revisiting an old childhood yes. friend, right? And said childhood friend was afflicted with an illness as he said where he was being haunted by his beloved sister and 
essentially what he was saying is all joys and anything that he derived from life had become stale and he couldn't go on. Hmm. Auntie Vice, you are breathing heavily. <laughs> That's Harold and Maude in my left lung lobe. Um. Oh, you know what? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. When I was like listening, it's like, man... Pornhub would have a field day with this one. <laughs> Sorry, no, I have um, I have two lung masses in the bottom of my left low lung lobe, and then there's a bunch of um, what's called ground glass looking stuff, which is it's just all filled up with infiltrate right now. So oh, that's I it's always fun to hear. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. Um, so it makes me wheezy and breathe heavy, um, because mm. I don't have full lung capacity. Um, the best thing to hear there, I. Oh. I loved this piece, um, and the 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 main character is Raymond Usher. Yes, I was gonna um, say. Yeah, is is the name and Madeline's sister. Yes, and I think this so perfectly encapsulates encapsulates what it's like to be depressed, right? Because the narrator is talking about this you know, kind of grief and this, what he sees as a mental illness type of malady, but the person who's experienced it describes it as a very much as a physical malady. And that's depression. When you live with chronic depression, it's physical and emotional. And it's marked for most people by losing joy in all the the basic things and not being able to do basic house upkeep. I think as a metaphor for depression, I absolutely loved this. And I actually liked the kind of cubist uh, approach to the, uh, the animation with it. Um, so yeah, I actually really enjoyed this one overall. I thought the, I thought the story itself was, I know that they have a movie. They had a, also a movie that was done by Vincent Price back in the days. Uh, sorry, Vincent Price. Um, this one was interesting. I mean, I know they, they kind of cut up the story very quickly so they can get through all the parts and stuff. I think they probably did the actual story-wise version without having to be like an hour or two. They made it very malleable for like, I think it was like 20, I think it was 20 minutes. Well, it's a short story. Right. The original work is a short story. So they got most of it, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and even, even the, even as it came to the climax end, where he got taken away from his, well, got he go, he's got taken away with his um sister came out and took him away. Uh, I I did I did think that there was a pure upstart of an elevated horror as it kept on going up. It wasn't it wasn't like it wasn't like how most horror movies are. Either you have a climax moment, kill off one person, climax moment, kill off a person, and then at the end, I think this one actually just kept on creeping. Uh, almost like the haunted hill and stuff. They kept on creeping up to the to the actual point of everything going wrong, and yeah, then and I, when it I did, I will agree with that. It definitely gave me a Bram Stoker's yeah Dracula vibe. But I, I gotta agree with Auntie Vice here. That there, I never paid enough attention to Edgar Allan Poe because, quite frankly, I always kind of thought he was like that version of Tim Burton in literature form where. It's just kind of overplayed where all the kids love it because it's gothic as hell. So <laughs> always have found it overplayed. But listening to this, reading into this, I think this plays and does describe overwhelming grief and loss very well. And I 
I, however, on the other hand, kind of found the uh, artistic direction to be a little bland, but that's just me. But I do really think this does such a great job in expressing how unfathomable it is to feel this level of loss and how an outside perspective can't fully understand it. Yet there is that not while the, while the person who felt it wasn't narrating, you still got it from the outside perspective that while no words could really reach them, you understood very well that it would never make them okay. Right. And how grief is such a circumstantial thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I can see that. I can see that. Most definitely. So, well, even, I, go ahead. No, go ahead. I loved the end, you know, when the the sister passes through Usher and they fall into this, you know, deep pit of hell and the narrator's like, it's burned into the memory of my soul. Mm-hmm. Because when you witness that level of sadness and mental illness, it stays with you, right? It's like, Sharon, mm-hmm. it's like when you found um, Josh's dad. Yes. That's, it's just, it's... When you actually see mental illness manifested like that, it just it stays with you. It impacts you for life. Yeah, <laughs> there's some stories there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but all in all, this movie was uh, I I like the way this movie came out, and it's interesting how it ended. It kind of like it almost like okay so even the fact of how the movie how the whole extraordinary tales is this is mostly coming out of a of a raven talking to a bunch of statues trying to realize herself am I dead and why are you so enamored to take me away somewhere it's almost well, like it's he's Poe embodied in the raven right well, and yeah, it's almost like a torture. raven was always going to be his most popular piece of work and i think that i feel like it's not even just am i dead i feel like it was also one of those moments like i also interpreted it as what am i leaving behind here right there's a sense of it where it's just like what is being immortalized if i am to accept this what can i leave behind that doesn't get ravaged by the passage of time there, and i think Lots of people struggle with that. They want to leave their mark. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm honestly like quite like. I'm kind of hitting that moment where I'm starting to see that where, it where I'm kind of hitting that point of my. I know everybody else is probably saying it, it, it in this of my fellow host, but <laughs> I'm hitting that where I'm just like, Fuck, what am I doing with my life? And I, I, I see it, and now I fully understand. What am I going to impart on this world? What What does this balder get when I'm gone? Do you do you get an idea what's going to happen, or are you just kind of still playing? Oh, when I'm gone, I'm going to make sure my office building is going to burn to the ground. <laughs> don't tell us. We don't need evidence. We're going to edit that out. <laughs> Protect Marvin. <laughs> oh, fuck that. <laughs> they don't want to come after us. Well, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so, am I being correct? I think I was in and out. The next you were. There was lots of snoring on Sharon's part during this film. I, quite frankly, I was kind of in the same boat, but this was also a really rough week for me work-wise. So like it did take several rewatches 
from for me personally. I don't know about you guys. So was the pin and the pendulum next? I b- yeah. Um, is that the one about the man who was under the um, pendulum? Yeah. Trance. Yeah, the trance. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. That no, was no, the. No. That, that, that's that was the, the hypnosis. Case. That's the case of um, the. That's the curse Vander of uh, yeah, Mimir, Yeah. Uh, I forget which order they come in, but choose one and we'll do it. Okay. So well, let's okay then. Uh, then we'll do. Let's do um, Tall Tale Heart. That was the gentleman that basically. Oh yeah, no, that was next. I'm sorry. Yeah. That that was next. Which one? The uh, the second most popular one. The Telltale Heart. Okay. Yeah. Telltale Heart. Mm-hmm. So Telltale Heart. Basically, this this. The point of the story is, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's the caretaker, the uh, the caregiver, yeah, it's getting the caregiver. to the point, getting to the he, point where was that? Go ahead. Oh no, no, I was just, uh, like in case you forgot, but it was the caregiver. Yeah, he explains that how his uh the master quote unquote or the person he's caring for has a evil eye that watches him relentlessly until he can no longer take it, and he decides to murder him and bury him essentially. But in the house, his, yeah, exactly. Then the neighbors hear the shriek from the man, and the police come. And I mean, it pretty much is obvious that he couldn't get over that overwhelming sense of guilt, even though the police couldn't hear it. They could hear he himself could hear, hear the continued heartbeat of the man he just murdered. Yeah, I think that was this this one here. It had it, this one here had a good point of. Psych, psychological trauma from the gentleman actually getting killed to the point of the actual killing himself and then trying to uh, trying to keep it all together without going basically going insane. So I, I did I did enjoy this one even with the heartbeat and also from the clock and also the eye the evil eye that kept on looking at the guy that was interesting. Uh, I... What's up? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I quite honestly like this a lot, but I think it's also I have a little bit of bias towards this one because this style genuinely reminded me of Sin City, and I really love that as a teenager. (laughs) But I will say this about the Telltale Heart. I recall spark notes from it. I never had to read it during high school, but looking at it at a lens at my age now and understanding it fully, I really do have a specific fascination for this too have a specific unadulterated prejudice for someone just based on something like that it's fascinating to see how and hear how someone goes through that and then after everything has been said and done to hear that oh god i can't believe i did it that 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 like as you said that psychological trauma that ptsd that they have mm-hmm. and that overwhelming sense of guilt and i think Poe does a really great way of capturing a very distilled, raw emotion that a lot of artists that we see, you, me, and Becca see, have been unable to really fully capture in so little words. Right. But So, <clears throat> what do you think, Becca? So... I loved the fact that they took this. I'm gonna, I'm sharing the screen with you guys right now. Um, it's very 1984 mm. style imagery yeah. that they use in the art direction, right? You, right. you've got um, this was the book cover with the big eye, and yeah. it's always the eye is watching and stuff. And mm. then if you look at um, 
Oh, let's go back. The way they they did the faces and stuff, it's straight out of 1984, and I absolutely loved that. Um, I thought that was a brilliant way to draw it together um, and make it feel more menacing. Um, the animation is all black and white, and it's incredibly menacing. You know, and you're totally right. I think I, at, for, at first, for me, it had a very specific noir look to it that I really dug. Mm-hmm. But now that you mentioned the 1984 George Orwellian look, I certainly do see where that's coming from, and I, I, I certainly appreciate it more for that now. Yeah, if you take an image like the the one here that I'm showing, and I know listeners can't see it, but the way they did the police is very much out of, of 1984 type of imagery and stuff. And I loved that added aspect of it. Um, and it le- it gave another level to this. I did like the, the animation because it did come across as very threatening, um, especially when they bring in the, the police and stuff with that. Uh, and overall, you know, I, I think what Poe's really good is capturing psychological feelings in, in his narratives. The first one was depression. This is guilt, right? Um, you know, you go through each one. When we do Pit and the Pendulum, it's despair, right? And, and helplessness. Like, he really finds a way to manifest these feelings through action and make it understandable. And that's what I like about Poe. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, after... Well, I'll I'll explain it later afterwards, but let's go on. Okay. Okay. Uh, so we want the next one to be since you were talking about the hypnotist, you want the next one to be the facts in the case of um, M. Valdemir. Valdemir. Basically, this one here is <clears throat> Mr. Valdemir is dying, and his friend, who is a hypnotist, is trying to find out if if he can hypnotize a di- a person die a dying person to keep him alive and see if he will be kind of in the middle between life and death. What do you think about this one? This is probably from my own background, but I love that he captures the brutality and uh, the senseless harm caused by the medical system. <laughs> because <laughs> this guy's dying, this hypnotist comes in and says, let me you know, hypnotize you at this point and see what happens. So he hypnotizes the guy at the moment of death. And after seven months, the body hasn't decomposed or anything. There's no signs of life, but there's also no signs of death, right? And so they get together and a bunch of doctors are like, well, it wouldn't be so harmful if we did all these experiments and we'll just start out small. And they're like cutting the dude open and taking blood and doing all sorts of fucked up stuff to the body without the guy's consent, not knowing if he's alive or dead or how it's, you know, affecting him. And when they finally bring him out of it, he's like, let me fucking die. And for me, that just sums up the healthcare system here in the U S that's been my complete experience with them is that it doesn't matter what who you are as a person you're just another body to play with and you're begging them to let you die at the end you know yeah, it's, it's amazing there's a living cadaver mm-hmm. yeah. i enjoyed this a lot too but i saw it in a different way mm-hmm. when he put him into a hypnotized state i personally saw it as as a sense of denial of one's own mortality mm-hmm. because i do remember specific lines of let me sleep do not let me wake let me sleep. Do not let me wake. All I could think about was, for me at least, was like with my own mother who had was going through cancer at the time. There's a sense of I we have to have hope. And then there's also the sense of 
we need to address our own mortality. One day we will all as essentially become nothingness. And to hear this man just go, let me sleep and never let me wake or else I would die at first. And essentially his body gave no signs of decomposing or wear and tear. I, I see that quite essentially as someone who is not ready to come to terms with whatever illness they have or come to terms with that lingering subconscious voice in their head mm-hmm. telling them you're not getting better you're not you you're winded a lot more you're etc etc but they're just not ready to address it and all i saw in this was denial until mm-hmm. finally when it he said let me die that's essentially acceptance at the latest moment no, and I think you're right. Um, I just, you know, have my own experience with the medical oh, yeah, system. Yeah, yeah, so course. anytime doctors are torturing people, I'm like, yeah, that's about right. No, yeah, of course. I completely agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm not that at that point yet, so I don't know what that's like. <laughs> but I'm going to take your word for it. I'm going to take your word for it. Uh, you have a penis, they'll respect ever. you more. Huh? You have a penis, she'll get more respect. No, no, respect I'm her. Asian. I don't raisin. I'm going to stay young forever. My body will not fail me. Right. John, how long? Is, <laughs> how, how are those hangovers now that you're over thirty? What hangovers? <laughs> I don't get hangovers. <laughs> I'm young. I'll be young forever. Asian don't raisin. <laughs> wow. Until it does, and then it's like overnight. Uh, <laughs> at ninety, it's just gonna be this. <laughs> uh, I'm not ready for style. this. <laughs> Have you seen be- the Asian meme where um? They show a little old woman or an Asian woman and how she ages. Yes. She looks ageless all the way until 50. And then and poof, it does the menopause thing. And then she looks like the essential, like old stereotypical old lady Asian who shrunk like one foot. Yeah. Wow. That's what crazy. The crazy riddle of I was on. I was in four in the morning. I was on all four legs in the morning. I was on two legs in the afternoon. And then I was on three legs in the evening. <laughs> See, but they leave out most of your 20s where you're on your four legs in the morning because you barf them. <laughs> two legs in the afternoon and three legs as you're stumbling home with your bestie trying to limp off those heels. That's just a dream. That's just a bender in your 20s. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> this one here gave me uh, this one here gave me a point of cycle um so one of the things that got my attention more often was I know this was a movie itself uh one of the movies that Vincent Price did uh so even them making the character more Vincent Price S the hypnotist being more Vincent Price S was very uh, I think it was a good nod um the point of the death was surprising because like you said They've done so much. This is one of those things where they've used so they they got something they can use, and they're trying to overuse it as much as possible. They're like, "I'm going to take advantage of you. I'm going to abuse you until I can't use you no more." And just the fact that you're right, this this does show kind of the human psyche of when you give them advantage of something, they'll take a whole, you know, I'll give them an inch, they'll take a mile, and and. Uh, I can say somewhat that the medical system has a has a lot of corpse, but this was one of those things where, and this is the 1800s, so this is the 1800s, 
I mean, we're in the twenty, we're in the twenties. I mean, two thousands, and it's getting better, or has it got worse? Who's to say? I'd do better on morphine. <laughs> I'm just saying, if they had more morphine and cocaine, I might be doing better now. Morphine and cocaine. All right, the next one we're going to talk about is, um, oh, okay, the pit was was the pit and the pendulum, or was it the yeah, mask? that's. Pit the pendulum is the red mask is last. Okay, so pin the pen and pendulum. What do you think about that one? Because I was out. <laughs> I, was I don't out recall cold. that one too well. <laughs> That's the guy at the Inquisition who sentenced to death, and oh, okay, I remember that one. Right, yes, and he no, keeps okay. experiences it in all these different ways. Right. Yeah. Um, so they put him in the pit, and then he's strapped to the table with this pendulum slowly inching towards him. Mm-hmm. And then he gets That's the rats right. to chew off there the yes. straps and escapes that. And then, you know, the floor starts to crumble out and fall into a pit and, you know, all of that. And he keeps dying over and over. I th- again, I thought it was great at capturing the horrors of the Inquisition, like, if you read even a little bit about that, that was a horrific time. But just the idea of when you are facing your own mortality, you go over all the ways to die in your head, and you face your own death thousands of times over in your own head, is how I understand this one. And I got to say, that whole pendulum thing, when I read that as a kid, that stayed with me since I was like eight and first read it. Like, that imprinted hard. See, I never read the pendulum, but... No, no, no. I recall this one very well now. And I remembered... Especially with the animation, there was something very grotesque about it that I couldn't help but notice. And to hear it now, or to recall it now, and recall that animation, yes, you're right, the Inquisition was hard. But for me, it's a little hard to put a scope on it for myself, even Mm. despite how much I read. I saw that with, in the lens of life in general, I see the pendulum of life constantly whittling away, and it really does suck away a lot of things from you you got to pay your bills you got to do this you got to do your checkups you got to do your physical no matter how much you tell yourself you're going to have to remain positive that life tends to have a way of slowly coming back and forth lower and lower to slice you open yeah i looked at more i looked at it more as the the um some of the movies now that are characterizing a character dying, like you know, um, "Live, Die, Repeat" with um, Tom Cruise, or uh, "Run, Lola, Run." Yeah, "Run, Lola, Run" is they basically. I can see where those movies came out of this story, and just the 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 basically the blueprint of how that became a thought of a thousand deaths and stuff. So yeah, I can see this being. Well, I think in the retelling of this, this was done by, uh, at the hands of Guillermo del Toro. Like, he really put his mark on this. You talk, Marvin brings up the animation, and it is very del Toro. Uh, the, the emphasis of the, the uh, Inquisition, which is a Spanish thing. Like, it, I think out of all of the directors of all of the shorts, that this one probably bore the strongest mark. Um, of what is characteristically part of that uh, director's oeuvre, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and even as we know, as as we're going into ink, the the little intervention, the little interludes, you can see that the 
the female voice is getting more and more intense on trying to capture the Raven. So it's getting it's getting real real dark as the Ravens keeps on trying to fight. You can see that the the female voice is starting to get more and more intense on capturing and taking the Raven. I don't know if to heaven or hell, but it's going. It's, it wants to take it to death. Yeah, death as fast as possible. It's almost like the this is this becomes the Reaper. It come it became the Reaper. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he's talking to the Reaper, and now the Reaper wants to collect and get the heck on. Uh, the last one is going to be well. The last one of the extraordinary tales is the mask of the the Red Death. Now, foggy idea. What was this about? I remember this one very well. Recall. Purely because my AP lit teacher and my junior high school teacher, which was, again, the same AP lit teacher, made us read this twice. And to watch it again and realize this was Edgar Allan Poe, like there was something very... It put a lot of puzzle pieces together to realize this was Edgar Allan Poe. And I really loved this, especially with the fact that this did really well in capturing how you just cannot escape your own mortality or escape anything about death, no matter how much you try to put up a happy persona, how much you drink wine, booze your way, do whatever. Death is a very inevitable, inescapable part of life. And I think especially with Normally, I read it when I read it, there was very little dialogue. It was just an explanation of what was going on. I think this animation did a really good job in capturing what this piece was supposed to be. It was dialogueless, and it was just music and sounds, and then death came, and then... Oh, I do remember this. This was the one where the prince... The guy was basically being fe- was feeding, was basically having a good old time. Oh yeah, exactly. and trying to avoid the day was, was the plague, but he, but out of it all, he still captured him. Oh yeah, so exactly. Been, this, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Like in the mm-hmm. the piece where when I used to read it back in high school, it was essentially to escape the bubonic plague, or I, I forget which one. Some rich lord had all of his friend, rich family friends and family just feast and wine and booze themselves in his castle. But somehow an uninvited guest came about and everybody started catching the plug again sickness. And he being rich, thinking he could escape this with his money, tried to confront this uninvited guest. But it turned out that when he tried to pull off the mask, it was certain it was actually death. And I like it it just clearly shows that like no matter what you have Death is just such an inevitable part of our life. And I think having this animation just not sh- have any kind of set dialogue captures it really well, especially with a piece that had no dialogue in itself, only description. This one kind of reminds me of the, the Hangman, when we did the Hangman, where the gentleman came out of nowhere into town and just started killing off people. You know, started just taking people. And then at, at, at all the end, all I had left was the narrator. The narrator was the one left to get killed, or even, or even the fact of how when you look at um, songs like Prince did, nineteen ninety nine. He's basically telling that the end is coming. So how y'all gonna go out? We're gonna party till it's nineteen ninety nine. What what are we gonna do? We're partying till the end of the world. And sure enough, 
this prince basically probably party till the till the end till the death came for him to collect. So I can see where he's going. Well, and I loved this with the writing with the commentary on how the the wealthy tried to avoid, you know, sickness and plague. They did it mm-hmm. with the plague, but at the time Poe was writing this, this is why you have all the beach towns on the east coast. Is the wealthy would leave the cities because in the summer, um, you would get diphtheria and tuberculosis spikes yeah. and stuff. So to escape the diseases, they'd go out to the shore and avoid the the crowds and use their money to escape it. So he's mm-hmm. for him, it was also part of social commentary at the time. Uh, and it's still going to come for you, right? Yeah. Uh, and I like that. But it reminded me not of the hangman, but of time, the piece we did uh, on the okay. YouTube shorts, yes, yes. where there was, again, no language, but the visuals are so strong, you don't really need it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed this. Um, no, time had the, time or, had, the visual, had the language. He basically was had, the, he was telling the story. The, it was the kid at home telling the, oh, the ready to go. You're talking about quarantine. Quarantine, quarantine, yes. Had quarantine had no language. This this was effective as quarantine was at storytelling through visuals, and I really enjoyed that aspect of it too. Yeah, agreed. So, so you were you so you were both um, pointing out about uh, the differences of each of each um one of the the vignettes, basically saying like one was about depression, one was about oh you're going to you you wanted to talk about more more about that, uh, Marvin. I think it's just especially like I said earlier, but now I get to drive in the point essentially. <laughs> I think Poe does a really great job at capturing very specific emotions with very little words as possible without having to use very as from what we've seen with four of the vignettes. Five. With well, I mean, okay. four of them yeah, had yeah. actual dialogue. Right, One right, was I just can. picturesque. But I mean, right. you're right. You're right. I mean, all five of them essentially said a lot, but there was no use of flowery words, or not flowery words, but big words, no usage of specific stanzas that I'm aware of or any kind of re- repetition or anything. I mean, it, it, it was just so simple in its nature, but it captured a lot of it well. And we see poets, we see Mike Nighters consistently who try to pull this off and still have trouble doing it well who have to use a lot of time to overemphasize and poe does it well with so little telling the story succinctly is incredibly hard yes Mm. and he does it very well with this and Mm -hmm. you have to admire that Mm -hmm. and i will admit this before realizing all these or fully hearing it I kind of thought he was overrated. I will cop out to it. <laughs> I thought he was overrated. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sorry. He just sounded like the poet version of Tim Burton. <laughs> I can go that route. So I threw an extra in because I knew it was going to be on the list. And this the one, one you mean? <laughs> this the one is one. The, the Simpsons version of The Raven. Coming from the be- best one because... They're so it was the best one. The only Disney property that did well because Mulan 2020 well, couldn't do well. Well, remember, this was this was before Disney property even took over. It, this is basically Fox. This is that is true. This is the first of the of the tree that's um, tree house of horrors. This was season about. two. That is true. No, this is, this uh, was when Matt Groening still had hands his hands in it and worked it well before Disney and their grubby ass little hands well, well, put their hands into everything <laughs> and fucked shit up like Mulan. 
Oh, he had he had a thirty year run. I mean, well, yeah, he had a thirty year he had a thirty year run. run. He had a ten year run before he got tired and handed the reins to other people. And now look at it's thirty years old and tired. Can I can I point out it was not the white person on the podcast that claims the first ten years of the Simpsons were the good ones. White people are very fond of claiming those first ten years. And I will point out Marvin was the one who did it. I I agree with him. I was going to point it out if he didn't, but I'm just very happy. I grew up with the Simpsons. I'm just saying I love the Simpsons. Yes. It's the best. I get it. Apu sucks right now because of whatever. But I still fucking love The Simpsons. But okay. So what about the Raven? Did you enjoy about this one? What's not to love? Homer was pissed. <laughs> then there was the Marge, the Marge port, multiple Marge portraits with his hair. And then I'm sorry, Bart as the Raven is fantastic. It's never just never more. Never more. Uh, do I need to go on? I need that as a gift with with the little Bart Raven circling the guy's head, going never more, never, never, never more. more. It's, just it's, like, it's it's fun. It's light. It's this this was peak Simpsons. Yeah, the, you no, know the line. That, this was the start. This was the start of them going. But this to is this thing. is the quintessential who they are. Yeah, like, yeah, I love I love it. That's it. Not even scary for a school book. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just. <laughs> I don't get me wrong. I personally believe Simpsons didn't really come into their own until the fourth season, but they they had a full understanding of cultural references at that time when they were still in that golden era. They had a full understanding of what their characters needed to be without flanderizing it terribly or writing them into a specific thing. Okay. Homer was always going to be the enraged idiot, but he at the core of it, he was the man who loved his family, or in this case with this treehouse of horror, who greatly loved his wife. That was a perfect casting for him. Bart will forever be the brat. And what way better way to portray him in this ser- in this short as the raven who consistently tells the narrator, nevermore, nevermore will you ever have this. Nevermore will you ever get to love this. Nevermore will you ever get to have no happiness. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what other... Like that, at full understanding of what their characters needed to be like, Simpsons writers at that time did well at portraying their characters and what those characters just needed to be when they pay homage to another great piece of work. Hmm. But even, but did you also enjoy the, as, I think I think this has gone into the the poetry scheme of uh, I think it's uh, dactyl tetrameter. Uh, basically, when he says rap tap tapping at the front of the door and stuff, it's, it's, it's that's the actual that's the actual thing. Did you like that type of feel of the? It wasn't the the, the rhyme scheme. Did you like the? Did you enjoy the rhyme scheme? Because it basically. Even even as even as Homer's voice was getting more loud and trying to keep with the rhymescape, he was still able to death the raven. I love it. I love it. It's so great to hear Homer speaking ye olde English, <laughs> which, by the way, is still not pronounced ye. I, but I can get into like a whole other thing about that. Which is too long for this podcast. I'm too okay. much of a nerd sometimes for my own good. <laughs> but that being said, it's so great to hear Homer speaking ye olde English in a poetic rhyme 
rhyme stanza and everything like that like you said i still love the gags in this like this there's a lot of things (laughs) yeah there's a lot of things that i love in my childhood that do not hold well this this holds pretty well did you enjoy that the narrator was james earl jones oh hell yes oh yeah oh hell yes hell the fuck yes because it seemed like it's because it, 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 it's kind of tired. It seemed like him and Homer were, were battling out who's gonna say what. <laughs> the narrator would say something, and then Homer, like, no, why you little? <laughs> I mean, it was still so true to it. Like, I, I, there, it just felt so true to Homer. Like, when you said they were battling it out, it felt mm-hmm. so true to it. Homer's brash, he's. He's a man of simple pleasures. Half the time, all he wants is to be left alone to his own devices, have a beer, eat some food, enjoy whatever little time he has to himself. And that was what this short was. He's dealing with his grief and his loss, and he wants to sleep it off. And then there's a loud tap tap on his door. He answers scared. Who could it be knocking at my door at such a late hour? And then you hear the narrator. He's Homer's growing frustrated. And the narrator keeps going until he opens the door and he sees the fucking raven that's barbed. And then this is like Auntie Vi said, and the, the, the gags hold true. Like I said, Marge's multiple portraits with her hair, Bart and his little like, hallucinations of running around as a raven going nevermore 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 <laughs> it's just so so well for me most definitely so and so this one was directed by david silverman he directed uh, the segment of narrative on poem nevermore he said during the production actually um matt Go- going the graining the simpson creative was actually nervous because the raven because of the Raven, because it didn't have as many gags, and he felt it would be worse, most uh, the most pretentious thing ever to do for the show. Yet it's this Treehouse of Horror remains one of my favorites. Okay, so okay, I can see us now going to this. It's going to be a big one because we have and the fourth. Because we have six, we have six stories. We got to re raise our right. So. I think we're we'll going to have to go through each one. All right, people. I think it's time for a little snap judgment, don't you think? So, snap judgment, where we, real poets, rate the movies, the vignettes that we have basically talked about today. Three snaps is, this is excellent. Poe will be never more because he'll always be forever. More. <laughs> Two, it wasn't that bad, but it wasn't that good. One snap, this needs to go where Disney put Mulan in a pole so, pit. No, no, no. <laughs> we're, doing the, we're doing the Mulan reference. It's a zero. It's a zero, god damn wow. it. A zero. Wow. You can't make a zero. This goes in quarter increments. This goes in quarter snack increments. We will start with the first one we will do. Will be... Follow the House of Usher. Yes. Follow the House of Usher. So we'll give it a one, two, three count and give our ratings. Close your eyes. Three, two, one. 
Okay, open up. Uh oh. Three, three, two. What is up with this nonsense? Wow. Okay. This is and interesting. I'm the lowest score. <laughs> Why That's saying you... something. Now I gotta wonder what's your what we gotta hear from the lowest score then. Okay, what up? No, More there man. Nothing there is nothing wrong with it. I didn't think legitimately think there was anything wrong with it. I just don't think it was three worthy of it. Everything mm. we've heard. I wasn't a fan of the artistic style. I felt okay. it was a little bland. Um, that was really it. It just didn't feel like a three for me. And it's really hard to articulate why it just didn't feel like three material for me. Hmm. Auntie Vice, why did it feel like three material for you? Why was it a three snapper? I think we've covered it. Like I think we've gone on to all of these enough that we don't need to drag it out again. No. Okay. All right. Okay. Cool. All right. So next one we will do will be the tail the Telltale, the Telltale Heart. Ready for? Close your eyes and ready for three. Three, one, two, three. All right, open up. 2.5, and two. Okay. This is a very weird night in Twilight Zone. I know. Where me and Auntie Vice are not like in sync for once. Wow. <laughs> Next, what we will do will be the pin, the pin in the pendulum. One, two, three. Now this one's gonna be hard because I didn't I didn't see the whole thing through. But then you don't like, get to oh, rate yeah, it. I can't you don't rate. get to rate it. You're an I automatic zero. I you are an automatic zero. Yeah. So, all right, we got two, we got two point five and two oh two point five both together. Okay, world right, all is right okay. in the world again. <laughs> all is right, right in the, the world, world again. There was the, a bit of an upset earlier, but all is right in the world again. The fact in the case of Miss of M Valdemir. One, two, three. Oh, three, three, and two point five. Interesting. That is an interesting one on that one. All right, and then we'll end this all. Well, we have two more to go. Uh, the Mask of the Red Death. Here we go. One, two, three. Ooh, two all. Oh, two point five all the way, <laughs> all around. Okay. That's very rare, my dad. Yes. <laughs> now the Raven, the Simpsons version of the Raven. I'm just, I'm just gonna put it. Up yeah. You, you guys already know what I'm thinking. <laughs> Three's across the board. <laughs> you already know what I'm thinking. Three all over. All right, everyone. I will put the numbers up about the show with what those were. But yes, as you can see, we gave these things to our ratings. But if you have a rating that you think we should be impressed by or interested in, why don't you basically leave a message, share, subscribe, rate, and review this episode and see what 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 Edgar Allan Poe one you liked. And, and might I say, the good the the good movie again came from my recommendation. You're welcome. There were no twos in this whole rating. I did it extraordinary. Two. It, it is two. two. One, one, there, two. one, two. But yes, I picked extraordinary tales. I picked extraordinary tales. I will plan the good movie. Wow. <laughs> we All really? I have to say, real quick though, is uh, Matt Greenan, if you're hearing this, 
please take the Simpsons back. <laughs> I know you're. Bu- I know you're busy with Disenchanted. Just take the Simpsons back, man. This they bastardized your baby. That's making money. It's that, that's like that's like telling that's like telling George Lucas, hey, Stars Wars back up, buddy. You saw what at he least did. get the Num Dub song back in. Fuck Disney for taking out Nub Nub. <laughs> no, it, yes. it, that was probably yes. that was probably a George Lucas call. Because George Lucas brought he basically wanted to retrofit all those dang movies back. I want really, Nub Nub really, back. Really? He's happy his cannon got taken away. He's happy that with Rise of Skywalker. Really? He remember he left that okay. You know how bad this is? Okay. He basically when when after the movie of of uh, Attack of the Clones came out. He actually told people all the fan fiction that was going from there on, it doesn't exist. He told them it don't exist. He basically cleaned the slate off and said from square one, Force Awakening, all new. That's it. That's all we're taking. Still okay with the Force. Or he's still okay with Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it didn't, it wasn't his baby. That was Disney's baby. Mandalorian season two was still bad. Oh, that, I stand by this. I stand by this. Shots freaking fired. All right, everyone. But we do have our social media. Marvin, tell them where they can find you on social media. Yeah, you can find me on Starvin Marvin09 on the Grams. Yes, where he talks a lot less about. Mulan <laughs> and BTS. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I promised a BTS. Wait, no, we should nope. start a patron so you get to hear the BTS story. Oh, we should start Patreon. That'd be interesting. Uh, Auntie Vice, where can they find you at? You can find me at Auntie Vice on most social media, love letters to a unicorn.com, auntievice.com. And I encourage readers, if you're in the Sacramento area, to come out to Stab Comedy Theater on November 8th at 7 p.m. I'm working with a group of comics to do a fundraiser for survivors of the Dixie and Caldor fire so they can get their kids Christmas presents this year. Come out for good cause, $10 at the door. If the delivery can get into Harbor, that would be interesting. Before Black Friday, yeah. <laughs> you can All Fridays me. matter. Uh, uh. <laughs> you can find me on I am Big Z. That is I A M B I C Z I N E, like Zora. Once again, we are the real poets, and this is real poetry. What are we gonna do next? We're thinking about doing Pumpkinhead, but we're working on it. So well, I'll tell you what we'll do next. We're gonna purse snatch soon. <laughs> in Sweden, does, uh, you and I go into Sweden, Martin. Wait, is, yeah, is, rent is, doesn't pay itself, man. Is there? I want. I'm gonna find out if the purge was an actual poem somewhere. Someone thought of that, and it was a poem or something, because that is just ridiculous. Yes. Even the first purse, as they, as they point out, the first purse was actually in Staten Island. Go figure. Uh. That makes sense to me. I've been to Staten Island. <laughs> Where else would it be? I, I agree with that. Staten Island, Wu-Tang. the bougie <laughs> version of the East Coast. Hey, it gave Wu-Tang to us. It's still bougie. Still gave Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang!
I would have gone. Okay, hold up, hold. Up. I would have gone to Staten Island if a certain person. We did. Came on. No, we did. You, we went off ferry and never got off. You we were got like, off and then got back on. You stepped on Staten Island. That hurts. <laughs> that hurts. That's like that's like the way it was in Queensbridge. You, you, I jumped off the the subway and I jumped back on because I had to go okay. back. Now I feel like the important question is which borough do you claim, Monty Weiss? Brooklyn. The good borough. Okay. The good borough. Before it became borough. gentrified. Before they had a mayonnaise store. It is Wait, a mayonnaise store. What? There's an entire store just for mayonnaise now in Brooklyn. Oh God, this is my uh, gentrification piece all over again. <laughs> I like the Wyatt Sedak joke that that's downright racist to white people. Like they came in and said, "Y'all need a mayonnaise store because you really like us." <laughs> It's okay, y'all. Your mayonnaise all tastes the same either way. Oh. <laughs> Once again, I am Sharon. That's Marvin. That's Auntie Vice. We are the real poets. This is real poetry. Stay fresh, y'all, and get ready for Halloween. If you see us on the news, it's because we first snapped some shit. We're not going out like Brian. <laughs> We're not going like Brian. He found his butt in a crocodile and crocodile munchies. <laughs> <sighs> Peace, y'all. Peace, y'all. <laughs>